Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have John Epperson. Hello, everybody. Dave Kimura. Hey, everyone. I'm Charles Max Wood from devchat.tv. And this week, we're going to be talking about the Ruby on Rails community survey from 2020 on the planet Argon. Is it, is it a blog, I guess? It, anyway, they, they posted it and it looks yeah. fascinating. So we're going to talk about it. Um, They've been doing it for years. Yeah. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. That, you know, JavaScript has one too that they do every year. And it's really interesting too, because people, they all have their dog in the hunt. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like, well, Angular went down in relative popularity. And so of course they go and dig through the numbers and they're like, well, but the number of people that said that they like it grew, it's just that it didn't grow like whatever else did, right? And it's, it's really interesting. So sometimes we like it when it confirms our biases and sometimes, sometimes we'll argue with it. So I'm really curious to see where we end up with this. But yeah, the demographics, let's just start there because that's kind of the top thing. And then we can kind of uh, scoot through this. But yeah, they had 2,000 people take it, which is a little more than last year. And a lot more than like 20, yeah, a little more than 2018, a little, anyway, yeah, a little more like than 2018, a lot more than 2016. Yeah. So that's up. a clear sign that Ruby's dying, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because, because <laughs> we have more desperate people taking the survey. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, one thing that I thought was interesting, just go off the bat was participant location. You know, USA is kind of the the biggie. You know, other countries has almost 700 responses, but they list USA. So that's where, you know, the country that gave the most, then UK, Germany, Canada, France, India, Brazil, Netherlands, Australia. And we always talk about Japan when we're talking about Ruby. I guess this is Rails, though. They may not use Rails as much in. Yeah, I, it was my, it's been my perception that, that Japan is they like a lot of different things which is yeah yeah, yeah. framework wise so, yeah so yeah i mean i was just a little surprised not to see it there but if this is rails focused then that may be understandable i and, mean i yeah. uh I, I don't even notice this thing come across my desk every year i i've participated <laughs> in it one time and i don't even remember how i encountered it yeah so. yeah yeah but you know i mean the other one what percentage of that? I mean, I can't, the contrast on that is terrible. But, you know, what percentage of people, that's better. 69, 70% of people work for a product company. That doesn't shock me at all. Yeah, as far then, as I know, I, I mean, obviously this is like multiple years old when I heard it, but mm -hmm. at least a few years ago, Rails was still the, the software of choice in, like in Silicon Valley. Like the first thing that you write in was Rails. Sure maybe you moved on to something else but yeah it, it seems to have like a pretty reasonable grasp on a niche so and yeah, then people I agree. still like it after that well it's interesting too i mean you look at how many years have you been developing with rails and you know you've got basically 40 percent of the people that took the survey are you know either one to three years or four to six years so people are still coming in. It's it's still an in-demand skill for sure. Yeah, and I think that's great to see because even yeah. in the less than one year, you still have about 75 people that are still coming in. And that's up yeah. to 2,000 people that took this survey. So, yeah, I mean, that's a still a good growing number. It's not the exponential curve that we saw back in, you know, 2012 or whenever, but I think that we're still on a right track. And now Rails is just more yeah. maintainable. You know, it's pretty solid yeah. and mature. So that's why yeah. you see probably a bump in the 13 plus years is because there's people who have just kind of stuck with it. I'd love to see how that, you know, kind of, you know, year to year what the changes were. But yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm one of the old dogs on the 13 plus years. So 
I think based I, I off think, of what I we think said we all before, were. all three of us are. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I still love it. Yep. Absolutely. Wouldn't want to work in anything else. So the the next one, this is one that's interesting, and I'm curious what your experience is with the how did you learn to code piece. I mean, when you talk to people, does this generally reflect what you see? Mm, lots of self-taughts. I think that yes. seems, that's definitely, mm. that rings true to me. I don't see a lot of CS people in my experience in Rails. Not that they don't exist, but. Yeah, well, it's. I mean, I have a computer engineering degree, but I probably would have put CS degree for me. But yeah, it's really, really interesting how many people are coming in either self-taught or, you know, through some other means. I mean, on the job is, I, I don't even know what that <laughs> what that would look like, right? Where they hire you and then teach you to code. Usually well, I mean, it's the other way around. I, I would probably check that box. And for me, it was like, I had a music degree, right? But right. But then I started taking computer classes because I was kind of trying to switch before I finished mm-hmm. college. And I like, you know, got my first job because of that interest. And so, you know, then I, it wasn't that I completely learned to code on the job, but I'm kind of not self-taught or boot camp, you know, maybe right. I would have to pick other, I don't know. Yeah, but it's, it's definitely interesting. And there are more and more resources for people to go to if they want to self-teach. Yep, we talked with somebody a few episodes ago. Yep. Uh, what was that? Code, code phase. Is that right? Yeah, code phase. Yeah, and yeah, I've been chatting with him off and on for the last few weeks, actually. But yeah, I mean, just it's it's interesting. And and one thing that I find fascinating is the fact that you know we have enough people who have been doing Rails for a year or two or three that are self-taught. So it also tells me that these people are eventually able to find work, right? Writing Rails. And so if if that's the case, you know, only 3% were looking for work. Everybody else is getting paid to write code. Yeah, you know, I mean, how how does this shake out in real life? And, you know, is, is this a more viable path than we really thought about? Because I think the boot camps make a lot of noise. But yeah, you know, they're only 6% of the, the number. Yeah, it also kind of depends. So I, I can definitely speak to how it works in Charlotte, right? Because that's where I live and uh-huh. and I kind of am involved in like a group here. So I hear a lot of people yelling and screaming about their problems. I shouldn't say it like that. Like some people are like really upset and some people are just like talking. But like here in Charlotte, like there's a, for whatever reason, the banks, uh, so the banks are the major industry here in Charlotte, right? Like they're, they just employ like, I don't know, like 40% of people. They aren't all of our oh, economy wow. like they used to be, but they're a massive portion of it. So they heavily bet on rewriting a lot of their Java stuff in JavaScript. So this town has been very JavaScript heavy for the past few years, but but even that trend is like slowing down. It's it's not reversing or anything, but it's slowing down. And so people here in town are like, well, JavaScript's like king. And one of the things that like people who are like jumping into Rails have come to ask me is they're like, well, having a hard time finding a good Rails job around town. Because to be frank, I actually have never worked at a Rails job here in Charlotte since I've lived here. I love Charlotte, but they pay like 20% under like where I can, I can like walk. I'm getting like way higher rates elsewhere. So I just, I just haven't ever worked here. And people have complained about that. And I've said, well, you know, look into remote work, right? Charlotte kind of doesn't seem to have a lot of those jobs. But yeah, I I would say that, so I don't know if that extrapolates everywhere else, but my experience has been that towns kind of tend to have like a particular technology that they tend to be strong in and they're not as strong in these other things. Yeah, that, that's interesting. It's an interesting take from that point of view. I mean, here in Utah, we kind of get stuff from all over the place. We get a lot of overflow from other tech community tech areas right so it's not so much that the case here you know we have a strong javascript community here for sure we also have you know decent communities in java.net ruby you know and and they're they're terrific communities so yeah anyway it, it is definitely interesting to see how that all shakes out so 
I know my thought is we're going to have to move a bit quicker if we want to cover this whole survey. Yeah, that's true. Survey. Yeah, it's it's pretty long. Do we want to skip some of this stuff? I mean, wh- which of these questions are interesting to you? I think how big your team is for your primary Rails application. Yeah, that's an that interesting one. There's yeah. over 300 people that are basically solo. And so I would imagine a good percentage of those are working for a company. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I mean, I said this at my previous employer that it's a risk to have one person in charge of something because you've basically created a silo where they are the wealth of knowledge in that one particular area. And if they get hit by the proverbial bus for whatever reason, then your company is at risk if it is a important product. Yeah. Just as interesting to me on that is the 300 or so people that are on teams of 16 or more working on a Rails application. That just sounds so awful to me. Not because I don't like people, just because, I mean, how do you how do you maintain what you have to know or do in that Rails app? Well, I mean, and to, to be fair, I doubt it's really a Rails app. I bet it's a React app. Or a Microsoft. <laughs> so, well, hold on. I, I've actually been in the eight to fifteen range with, with a Rails full blown eight Rails app, right? And, and oh yeah, so have I. Yeah, I mean, it, I think that like I totally agree. Like you, I think around ten, like you start having trouble working on the same app, right? Right. And we've we've definitely. I mean, I think we hit like sixteen at one point, but not everybody was working full time on that app, you know, or whatever. Yeah, things like that. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe people just have different processes and stuff than we do. But I do agree that it's not it's not all uh, uh, rainbows and unicorns for sure. It starts to get tough. Yep. I mean, we we used GitHub issues and our thing was super busy. So. Um, yep. Well, and I think that's part of the problem with some of the larger teams is that they don't break. You shouldn't you shouldn't ever have a team of sixteen people plus, you know, in my opinion. Right. That sixteen people should be broken down and certain responsibilities given to them. Because even in monolith applications, if you have done things properly, then there is enough code separation where teams can work on certain kind of features or modules of mm-hmm. that project and never step on each other's toes. That's actually how we managed uh at that level, right? But even then that doesn't solve all your problems yeah i'm on a team depending on how you define it right now at my current job where there are maybe 10 or 11 developers but yeah you know we're we're already split into two teams and you know we pick up features that don't clobber each other when we're working on stuff and you know we have mechanisms in place to make sure the communication happens the way that you need it to so yeah, even then, you could just have a team dedicated to bug fixes, another team dedicated to features or whatever, and or compliance stuff, whatever the case. Yep. So another super interesting thing is right below that, over 85% of people, appear, well, about 85% of people appear to be working re- remotely at least part of the time. And 50% yeah, but- of the time. We're in COVID. We have been for a while. I think that probably changed a bunch. True, but I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how. Yeah, I wonder what the historical one was. <laughs> yeah, that that that's where some of this is interesting, right? Yeah. Another one that I found interesting was the of the Rails applications you work on. How many are updated to the most recent Rails and Ruby releases? I think I think thirty five percent matches what I vaguely remember from past surveys. Yeah, that that's something that I would. Be interested. I'd also be interested to know: Are you saying, you know, some or most, just based on, you know, maybe you've updated Rails, but you haven't updated Ruby? Because I see that pretty mm-hmm. often, right? You know, I, I, I haven't updated Ruby mm-hmm. because responses are right. Rails. Oh, yep. There you go. Boy, that's interesting too. So third-party dependencies don't have time and not considered a priority. Yeah, those are the biggies. Yeah. And I would say the third-party dependencies is not the JavaScript side of things, but no. they've added way too many gems into their gem file, and now they're seeing the issues with that. Yeah, there's that, or 
related to that, right? It's I need to integrate with this other third-party system and the driver that we have for it hasn't been updated. Or uh, or, or we, we started a monolith with like Paperclip a long time ago. So every time we upgrade, like, you know, Paperclip's really cool, but like, it's kind of like, right? Or, or some other yeah. gem, right? That like was popular back in the, not all of it is necessarily like, huge but maybe you picked a popular gem that's no longer a thing yeah yeah definitely had plenty of those (laughs) like in the other responses somewhat or i guess a number of people in order to stay there they did the little whatever ascii art (laughs) yeah yeah so kudos to you sir yeah i'm trying to just scroll through these to see what else is here i mean for the most part, I'm seeing that people are up to date or pretty darn close. Mm-hmm. Active job adapters. Sidekick is just yep. far and away the, the biggie. I mean, it yeah, came in. Really, and it... For the version manager, I was really surprised to see our VM so far up there. Just because of, you know, if you are on any kind of social media, you basically only ever hear of hate for our VM. And yeah. Now, like, oh, it messes with your shell and don't ever use it. You're a horrible dev if you do. I'm like, I like RVM. I don't see anything wrong with that. I've never had any of the problems that everyone is always complaining about. It's yep. always been working faithfully for me. It has been a long time, but I, I do remember having some grief with RVM. And I was quick to bail on it. So I certainly don't want to pretend like I have tons of expertise on what was wrong, but. I've been using, I'm a faithful user of RBM and I, it hasn't failed me. I think the one that, that makes me laugh is CHRuby that that, the, that there's that many people using it, but you know, it's cool. Yeah. Well, the, the price of switching is really not that high. You know, you just blow away your RVM or whatever folder and then you just install with the other thing bundle and you're, you know, you're pretty much there. So yeah, that that's one thing that I could definitely see. I use RVM. I've never had a problem with it, but yeah. Oh, here's uh, the thing that we were interested in. So I know that we were talking about who's on the latest, but which actual version of Rails is everybody using? There's a almost everybody's at least on five. I think yes. this is 27%. I can't read it. It's white on super bright yellow. All right. Well, uh, 29%. I had to highlight it. I was having trouble highlighting it. Awesome. So that's like what? It's like 62%. Okay. Or in 5.2 yeah. plus. Yeah. I mean, you've got a 12% on 4.2, but yeah. Yeah. That, that's definitely interesting. 2.6, Ruby 2.6 is beating out 2.7. Uh, okay. I don't but, even know. You know no, it's in the next. Five, I think it's gotten easier to update our applications to the next version. Uh One, because we're taking better practices and how we are developing our code. But then also the framework is just allowing for it to be updated easier, especially if you don't have a whole bunch of gem dependencies, then it's just going to be a lot easier. So this kind of graph shows me that we're kind of moving towards that iOS kind of deal where being on the latest and greatest is always the best. And I think before we were kind of on like that Android OS version where everyone was running about equal the latest or running about equal any version. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think the upgrade getting easier is the best explanation because I I didn't really feel like the changes, for example, in 6 were life-changing for me. They were good. Don't get me wrong. I like 6. But I didn't feel like, for example, like, kind of in that three range and four range where like, I was like, I really want these changes because they're going to drastically change how I do my work every day, but it's hard to upgrade. I feel like it's easier to upgrade now, even if the changes. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's interesting too, because I kind of, I've been kind of scrolling through this. So I'm going to jump back and forth on stuff. As far as like learning and community, it was interesting to me that 23% have been to a conference last year 20, what is that, 35%? Boy, contrast, right? Yeah, I think it was 35% have been to an in-person users group or participate in users group. And then almost 50% participate in online users groups. And I'm wondering if that includes like Slack channels and stuff like that. But definitely interesting. 
Yeah, I wonder how much that is related to COVID versus, you know, because that's where everybody's at. Yeah, yeah. We made the list on technical podcasts. Yay. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. Drift and Ruby didn't make it into the top 10 on the favorite Ruby on Rails blogs, but it is mentioned there. So you know, I guess I scored some internet points there. Nice. Well done, sir. Well done. Ruby Weekly. No surprise. On the Ruby Rails blogs. I guess I guess oh. they count as a blog. I I don't know what else to count it as. I mean, it's kind of a newsletter, but Yeah, it's like an aggregator. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Authored at least one gem. That's interesting too, right? Yeah, I feel like I feel like that's probably more like a measure of how many people that have authored a gem are taking the survey. Like yeah. I, I don't know if that's like measuring much. I don't know how you would yeah. measure that with good accuracy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the other one is contributing back to open source projects. And it looks like that's about 50-50, you know, that either rare, rarely or never versus a few times a year to a few times a month. Some, there's definitely some overlap here between favorite Ruby gems and most frustrating, like Devise, Rails, Nokogiri, Rubicop. I noticed right away they all made both lists. <laughs> yep. RSpec. I think that's just all the mini test people voting RSpec, and mini test might be on there from all the RSpec people. It's not though. Okay, never mind. Yeah, I, I feel like spring and the most frustrated. I know, right? I was about <laughs> to say, you know, yeah, gems that frustrate me like spring and spring, spring. I mean, honestly, that one just drives me nuts. I mean, when it works, it's fine, but when it when it flubs stuff or when it caches something wrong and you know gives you a false positive somewhere Ugh. yeah and that seems to be more often than not and because it's not stable <laughs> i just disable it I'm gonna, so tempting <laughs> I'm, active I'm admin that. made the list i'm not oh, in love with active admin of the frustrating oh, okay yeah. yeah i mean I, I mean it was cool i guess back in the day though uh, i mean we the one project that I ever used it on, we abandoned it and rolled our own. Which I don't know. I think that's a natural evolutionary path now that I'm more experienced. But so I don't. I don't know that I think that makes active admin bad. You just get to the limits. Yeah, you get to the yeah, you get to the edge of where it's great, and then you go, okay, I got to find some other, you know, some other option. Yeah, I feel like administrate has the same problems too. I mean, I mean, administrate's kind of like my current favorite for that kind of space but you i mean you can quickly find the edges depending on what you're doing yeah so uh in this javascript on rails section i yeah, feel like dave that. dave must have answered because the second sentence here says in this section we got a few colorful replies that didn't hide their true feelings about javascript <laughs> i thought it was funny jquery was just it, it was the biggie and then react i mean i but do stimulus have jquery you know, I think jQuery is, you know, kind of like a lot of those Trump supporters. They just don't want to be known as a jQuery lover out of fear. <laughs> but they'll vote for it in a random survey. I, I don't know. I have jQuery in like <laughs> almost every one of my apps. Yeah. It's required. So do I. <laughs> it's like well, a dependency. It's, it's interesting, right? Because usually the apps that I have jQuery in is because... I went and bought some web layout off of ThemeForest. It has jQuery in it, or it has Bootstrap in it, which requires jQuery. And so it's it's there, right? And I am I use it for those things. And then for the other stuff, I'm really starting to get into stimulus and using it with view components, which is yeah. super awesome. But yeah. Yep. And I, I want to make a point about that because I think it's really important. If you are in a situation like that where you are having to bring in jQuery into your Rails application because of a dependency of a third-party library that you're bringing in, that jQuery dependency is a dependency of that third-party library. You do not have to make it a dependency of your right. application. So, for example, with Bootstrap 4, it still has the jQuery dependency. Of course, I have to bring it into my Rails application in order to use Bootstrap to its fullest within the app. But I don't have to make my application a dependency of jQuery, meaning that when I go to switch to Bootstrap 5, which has removed that jQuery dependency, 
I should not have to change any of the code in my application specific around the JavaScript and stuff like that, because that should all be already be using stimulus or vanilla JavaScript instead of using jQuery just because I had to bring it in and just so my application start using it. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. And if we look at the question a few down, like are you using Yarn or Webpack versus Asset Pipeline? It looks like two-thirds of people are using Webpacker. So Webpack, yeah. That, yeah, I guess I guess Webpack, yeah, uh, whether you're using Webpacker or not. But So that, that makes me feel like, yeah, because it's a lot easier to get away from jQuery if you can use ES6. So. Yeah, I will uh, confess here a little bit. So I, I use Webpacker most of the time. But again, when I pull in some of these HTML layouts and I'm starting to you know, integrate my Rails logic into them so that they'll do what I want them to do. A lot of times, it just does not work well to pull the libraries that are packaged with it into Webpacker. I mean, it's just, for whatever reason, I just haven't quite mastered that. So a lot of times those wind up in public. <laughs> mm, you need to call What's-His-Face from... Uh... Yeah, I need to ago. get Justin on and say, yeah. okay, Justin, what am I doing wrong? He'd probably help me out. He's a super nice guy, but yeah, I'd probably I, learn something too. Yeah, I feel I've, I've been able to wrangle, so far, I have yet to have a problem that I can't wrangle Webpacker to get, you know, the stuff working. Yeah. Well, a lot of it is, you know, it's got this dependency and this other dependency and this other dependency. And so... It's like, okay, well, how do I make it so that this can talk to that? And that's the part that I have trouble with. So you might be able to load it in and do an async defer. So maybe all your other JavaScript stuff gets loaded first. Uh huh. So the stuff like jQuery and stuff built into Webpacker, you know, you get all yeah. that loaded and then load it afterwards or put it within Webpacker and load it last. <laughs> That's why I did on a few templates that I got. Yeah. It just hasn't made my priority list yet. So I have a few things that I have to do that on too. And yeah. uh, I'm trying to look up really fast to see if I can't see. I think I think bootstrap. I don't know if I had to defer bootstrap or if I had to load it. I don't know if I had to load it first or last. Let's see here. Yeah. So where's my, okay, that one's my deferred one. So, all right. So yeah, I had to defer bootstrap stuff in, in this one app. And I believe that that was the same as a different app that I did. So I don't know what your experience was, but that's what, yeah. De decent I, share on that. I've only ever used Jasmine, so I don't know. It's, it's interesting to me though, like you have Puppeteer, which is, uh, you know, kind of like stand up your app and make it do stuff. But none of the other ones like Cypress or Selenium or anything it's double anything there. else. And Jasmine and Mocha have decent. I know that Copybara can mm. pull in some, and maybe that's where it'll show up. Can pull in some of the Selenium stuff. But, yeah, Copybara does show up under Rails testing frameworks. Yeah, but I mean, lately, honestly, I've been opting for view components and testing my view components instead of doing a full-on Copybara. You know blast my app kind of thing so and yeah. you like it uh, i do i very much like it i think that's a lot better route than using javascript oh yes <laughs> yep i i agree because i mean let's face it cucumber is, or not cucumber jeez capybara is awesome you know it mm -hmm. solves a problem that we have but the tests are slow and they are sometimes brittle yeah. So depending on what version of Chrome driver you're running or the Selenium driver, I mean, I just, I found working on a project from a year ago, it's a hit or miss on whether or not I'm going to get those tests to pass. Yep. It's uh, it's a thing. Yeah. I usually tell people that like when we're talking about, oh, well, why don't we just do, you know, copy bearer tests or something, right? Like, and I'm just like, well, that's, that's cool. You know, let's do it, but let's be really careful about which ones we pick. We should only have a few. 
and you know they should be the ones that you really care about you don't want to just test everything that way because soon your test suite will take so long to run that you will be tempted to not run it you know and while i will always push to always run it i've totally come to organizations where they weren't running it or where i left and they stopped running it so yeah gotta have somebody on your team that cares about tests well, or you have a, a running culture around the test stuff, right? So on on the team that I'm on, when you, in order to check into the main branch, you have to do a pull request and you have to basically, I, I don't want to say certify, but you have to check a box that says the tests run, right? The tests run and they pass. Yeah. So. But at the same time, if you uh, if you don't keep that culture alive and keep feeding it, it, it can die on you. So, yeah, mm, yeah. We'll, see. well, and I am looking for that test to spec ratio of 150 plus percent. I mean, yeah, <laughs> my tests need to completely and totally overwhelm my code. That's, that's a really good point. I like went right past that without even thinking about that. I just thought it was funny. I was like, okay, so there are 22 jokers in the pile. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, for me, it's not a test spec ratio. There might be a code coverage thing. You know, we don't want our code coverage to go down, right? If it goes down, then we need to start talking about, okay, well, why did it go down, right? Did we add some code that didn't get tests and why doesn't it have tests? And have a serious conversation about it and be deliberate about it. But beyond that, I mean... Eh. Yeah, I've always hated that metric of lines of code versus lines of test because yeah, I don't think that they... It can give you a very vague idea, but it really gives you zero idea. I think code coverage is a much better metric, still not a great one, but better than lines of code. Yeah. I remember this company that I'm not going to mention. They said that we had to have 80% code coverage in order to, not code coverage, 80% lines of code in order to ship. So I'm like, that's, I mean, I could just copy and paste the exact same test over and over and over and it would hit that metric, but the code coverage would be a 1%. Right. So, you know, it's kind of silly. If you're going to do due yep. diligence, then do due diligence. Don't just throw in processes for no real reason. Yeah. Well, and code coverage is only helpful if it's actionable. Yeah. And so if, if it's a vanity number, then don't bother. One thing I thought was kind of interesting is that coveralls actually made it into their which coveralls, I don't know if you're familiar with it, mm -mm. but it's essentially something that you can put into your application. Kind of think of it like the mini test profiler or the mini okay. profiler, but it's for production use and code usage. So you have this running in production for a few months, and then you can essentially see how much of your code is actually getting used and get a report similar to what you would have with SimpleCov. And it would show you where areas of your code is just not getting used at all. So you can either, so you know that going back and refactoring these horrible areas of code won't actually make any kind of real world difference because no one's actually using it. Yeah. But it does add a performance hit to your production application. So use it with caution. Right. There's our disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting too. I, I like the idea though of knowing, okay, this code never, almost never gets run in production, you know, because then you can have a serious conversation about throwing code out. And I love throwing code out. Yeah. And that's especially useful if you are getting brought in on a application where the last team rage quitted. So that way you can actually see kind of what the real stakeholders are of that application. Right. Yep. Yep. So the other one that I found interesting was performance monitoring tools and the the error tracking tools and just seeing kind of okay, you know, these ones held steady, these ones moved up, these ones moved down. Be really interesting to see, yeah, what changed and why. Yeah, personally I'm a fan of Sentry. I've never used New Relic for error tracking, but uh-huh. No, I guess it does have that in there. Yeah, New Relic. New Relic is rather expensive. Like, and, and they're kind of complicated. I don't have any major beefs with the way that they do things besides kind of those two things. I mean, it works great, works well on large apps. 
but yeah, you know, they, they kind of do everything and it's kind of a mess sometimes to get it all set up the way you want. But yeah, yeah I, I love Sentry. I've used Sentry, Roll Bar, Air Brake, Honey Badger. Um, I've looked at Bug Snag and App Signal, you know, and I've used Raygun mostly because they've either sponsored or had conversations with me at one point or another. But yeah, you know, a lot of them are, are really terrific tools. The other thing that's interesting is that if you go down to performance monitoring, I had conversations with, I think, Sentry and Raygun and Airbrake, and they've all added performance monitoring to their suite. I think AppSignal did too. And so, you know, you're going to see those start getting listed here as people move off of the new relic or whatever that they're using now and onto those scout is also a terrific tool for the performance mm -hmm. monitoring yeah didn't isn't uh yendo cats no what they did sky yeah skylight yeah 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 i yeah. like Tilda did skylight look and feel of skylight i think it's yeah. really solid and i think it's fairly affordable i mean you can probably get away with a 20 dollar a month plan They'll get you like a million requests for the month or something. Yep. But I do the free new relic because I'm a cheapskate. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they opened that up. Yeah, I'm shocked at the number of people that are still none. Yeah. I guess it's not number of people, but how none is ranked at the number two. Unless yep. if that's a product, that's kind of concerning. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Mess with all the surveys and put out a tool called none. No, that is interesting. I mean, I guess if you're not experiencing the issues, you know, you're not getting complaints about performance issues. But I mean, the flip side of that is, is that uh, it's entirely possible then that people are just quitting your app, right? Because it's too slow and not giving yeah. you the feedback. So, yeah, we've been going for a while. I'm kind of curious where, what else you're seeing here that you're interested in? The the next section, the uptime monitoring tools. Uh-huh. Kind of sad that Pingverse didn't make the list, but I haven't really You need done to any spend some of... money on marketing. Yeah. So I definitely, of course, am particularly interested in deployment stuff. Right. And I thought it I thought it really interesting while going through this section. One of the things that I saw in here was there's a wow, I like just totally mess that up there's a do you think that it's easier or harder to deploy rails applications and one of the interesting i think things i think you see in there is that it's gotten easier for other uh, languages and frameworks to be deployed in in recent years so i think it's really cool like to me that just says that like rails like kind of pushed everybody else which is how i felt so you know there we go yep. i'm confirming my own bias here yeah, I mean, it, it, it is interesting just from the sense that, yeah, the almost daily, I mean, it went up a bunch in 2018 and it went up a bunch more in 20, 2020. And yeah, those automation tools are just getting better. I don't, I don't think it's, it's, there's no real bump in people using Windows as their primary operating system. It's still pretty small. Well, the Windows experience, I mean, I guess it's gotten better because you have the uh, Linux system for Windows you can use yeah so it's not it's not just utterly painful but true yeah and but then is that really windows <laughs> no it's emulated <laughs> linux i mean but that's the thing it's way better to use that <laughs> uh yeah and it looks like vs code vs code is definitely the oh yeah editor right now yep yeah and then vim based i don't know what's wrong with people so I'm, there's people that like it. Emacs crap. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I we had to do user. it. Sorry, folks. Yep. I'm a Sublime user. I just think that Sublime's like Vim, just way prettier. Let's be fair. But the question is, do you pay for Sublime text? Uh, I do actually. All right. I, I I thought that that was. Yeah, I bought it twice. I was kind of pissed because I bought it the first time and then I like couldn't find my keys and so then I was like, well, I'm just not. I'm just going to like, I already paid for this. So I'm just like, you know, going to click, yeah. keep clicking the button. But then, then I eventually just decided to go ahead and buy it again. So I didn't have to click the button anymore. Yeah. It's also interesting that a third of people are still not using anything for containerization. That's true. I used to be really against it, but then I had to start supporting applications that were cross versions. 
and it became a pain. So uh-huh. containerizing them just made it so much easier. Oh, yeah. Yep. All right. Anything else interesting? I think it's uh, actually I do have one more interesting before like other stuff. But uh, so if you look at two questions, which web servers do you use in production and then which Rails servers do you use in production? It kind of looks to me like the number of people that are using Puma without anything in front of it is definitely going up, right? So there's obviously a lot of people using Nginx as their web server, but 61% of people are using Puma, which to me says a lot of people are reverse proxying to Puma. But there's... Maybe. I mean, it it could be reverse proxying, which is probably Nginx, honestly. Yeah, so I mean, Nginx in front, Puma in back, right? Puma running Rails. But the flip side of that is, is that I could also see, you know, if if you kind of put together the containerization and you just run your Rails app on Puma, and then you load balance across your Docker images, you may not even need an Nginx to reverse proxy it, right? Because yes, you can. And that's, I think that's what these numbers are showing, is that more people are doing that. Right, they're putting it into a container and not bothering with the reverse proxy. Yeah, because there's basically a buttload of people that say that their web server is Puma, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That'd be really interesting to see, yeah, where that trend is. Because, I mean, yeah, then you just set up a box that, or not a box, but a Docker container that effectively has the resources that one Puma is going to need. And then you just spin out a bunch of those and load balance across the whole mess. Yep. Yep. One other thing that I thought was interesting here was that I feel the Rails core team is shepherding the project in the right direction and Rails is still relevant. I mean, not a big shock here. I was a little surprised at how many neutrals there were, honestly, on the Rails core team. So do those people just not care? Or are there some things that they actually disagree on? It was probably that back when Rails announced action text, people were like, why are you putting in a WYSIWYG editor in your framework? Uh-huh. So personally, I think it's great. If you've never tried to implement your own WYSIWYG editor and pass a security audit at the same time, then you just don't know what the love for action text is yet. Yeah, the I just keep seeing action text warnings when I run my tests. I don't know what I I don't know what our the team did, but I was actually trying to troubleshoot that last night and I'm like I could not figure out where it was coming from, but it turns out that there are a lot of gems out there that have had to fix different things related to that. So, Yeah, I, I think all of these questions kind of show like that the Rails community has like pretty high confidence for the most part in, yeah. in Rails. Well, the other thing that I find interesting is that for the most part, you know, the majority of people were on the latest version or at least a, a very recent version of Ruby. They were on a very recent version of Rails. And so people tend to also move in the mainstream a lot more than some other communities that I I talk to. I mean, JavaScript, you talk to people and there are trends, but they're not, they're not as widely adopted across JavaScript as they are here across Rails. And so it's interesting to see how that, you know, follows as well. I mean, you know, and, and just as an example, back to, you know, I feel the Rails core team is shepherding the project in the right direction. They've got 30% of people said totally agree and 48% of people said mostly agree, which leaves a little over 20% for the rest. And the majority of the rest is neutral. And so, you know, you've got 80% plus of the community that are moving along the the path of you know, doing whatever it is that Rails is doing. Which kind of makes sense. I mean, yep. Rails is opinionated. It's like, look, you you trade off some of your flexibility, you know, for, for all this stuff. And I think that if you, excuse me, are willing to make that trade off, right? And as long as the Rails team mm-hmm. keeps, you know, being smart and heading off in good directions, I think people will continue to buy into it. So I have. Yeah. Yep, Absolutely. Are you freelancing or moonlining? Or maybe you've thought about going out on your own. Every week, we have a group of developers at various stages of the freelancing journey on The Freelancer Show to talk about becoming better at freelancing. We also bring in experts to talk about marketing, SEO, and delivering high quality to clients. So if you're interested in going freelance or you are freelance, check it out at freelancershow.com. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks and then we can wrap up. Dave, why don't you start us off? 
Oh, geez, it's been so long since we've done picks. You would think I would have a whole book of them. Uh, I guess I'll just pick what's staring me in the face. So I got a new microphone that I'll be using for some location broadcast work, and it's the Rode NTG5. It's a Mm -hmm. pretty nice microphone. I'm still using my RE20 for all of my, quote, day-to-day and screencast recording, but I am going to be start doing some actual video work. And I didn't want to have a big dynamic microphone in my face while I'm on video. So I picked up the Rode NTG5. I'll have to look at that because I've been, uh, I, you know, I have a big dynamic microphone in front of my face when I'm recording the podcast. I don't know that. And I did not say anything that resembles the trigger word for my echo. That's fine. But yeah, so I've been doing a little bit more YouTube stuff and I want the video up. But yeah, I don't necessarily want this big microphone in my face. At the same time, I mean, it kind of just adds to my cred as a podcaster, I guess. So I don't know. I'll have to have a look at that. Yep. Isn't it heartening to know that Alexa is is making a, a recording of the podcast right alongside? I know, right? Yeah, it's it's getting my end from me and your end from you and Dave's end from him. So anyway, Dave, go ahead. Did you have something else? You would think I would, but I really can't think of anything else. Um, oh, I, okay, I just felt so, like I jumped in. So I wanted to make no, sure you had a chance. Um, I'll pick something else. The uh, Philips Hue lighting. A lot of people say that those are ripoff, but they are really cool. And so I have those going on in the background here, which again is going to be for the video. And my third pick-ish is the Elgato Stream Deck, which is this basically macro keyboard with each little LCD or each little key has its own programmable LCD. So I can just click a button and it'll change the background colors or turn on and off my key lights and all that stuff. So I got that as a birthday present. I've been loving it. Nice. John, what do you have for picks? So I've got a couple. So I recently had to... uh make a difficult choice to go down the route of taking a full-time position and oh, um, I know how that is yeah it's what it is but uh you know i've been interviewing and stuff but to kind of like start off that interview there's there's a hacker news whatever thread that happens at the beginning of every month it's like ask who's hiring and i'll, I'll find I'll, I'll find a good link to to send you guys to to put in the show notes or whatever but that happens every month, and uh, I reached out to a number of the companies on the list. You know, I I didn't anyway. I ended up having like basically I, I've been in talks with like ten companies, which by the way is too many. I was not expecting to get that many responses. It's a lot to manage, but but the point is that it totally worked. It's cool. All of these gigs were were remote Ruby positions, so. Yeah, Ruby in some way. Some of them like lean towards DevOps or, you know, towards other things, but but they involved Ruby. But so that was really cool. And then also because I've been doing a freaking ton of interviewing over the past few weeks and, you know, there's like negotiation involved in that. I totally read my uh, Never Split the Difference book again. Also, I felt mm-hmm. really proud about my negotiating skills, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I have to land something in order to like really brag on it, but. But I totally read my Never Split the Difference book again, so I'm totally recommending that. I think I try, I try pretty hard not to like repeat stuff, but it was a good book, and I, I didn't read it because I didn't know how to negotiate. I read it because I felt like it made me better. Like I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. Things like that. So it's just, I don't know. This book speaks to me about different techniques and stuff that I can use. So I may read it again. So that's what I got. Nice. Very cool. I'm going to jump in with a few picks. So I think the first one is, is that I'm about ready to announce the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And basically, I keep talking about, I keep talking to people and they're like, well, how do you become a senior developer? And my response is, have your boss call you a senior developer? You know, but what they're typically asking is, how do I contribute at a certain level? And you know, become involved in a certain way and make a certain amount of money and things like that. And what you do there is you become the most valuable dev, right? You do the things that are going to get you to the place where you can contribute in those ways. And there are certain things that you have to do in order to do that. Well, the summit, the idea is, is that I'm going to ask a whole bunch of people, probably a couple of these guys, if they have time, and I'm just going to interview a whole bunch of people. I I know that I'm pretty sure that I can get some folks like uh, Bob Martin uh, to do it. And I'm just going to be like, look, if you woke up tomorrow 
you're a mid-level developer in a job you really like and a technology you really like, and you're trying to figure out how to get to that most valuable dev level, what would you do over the next three months to get there, right? And then they can talk about, I'd go watch videos or I'd go do this or I'd spend this much time or whatever, right? And uh, yeah, so I'm planning on doing all those interviews, uh, putting that together as a summit. And uh, I'm going to put them out for free for the days of the summit. And then, and it'll be the beginning of December. And then if you want access to them after the fact, and uh, I'm going to ask them a few bonus questions, you know, so to get all that content, you will have to buy a ticket. But you know, then we'll put you in a Slack channel with all the speakers and, you know, all that good stuff. So, you know, you're going to get some access to that stuff and it's going to be really great. And I'm super excited to see where people end up at. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. And then I've been listening to the Wheel of Time books again, and I've been really enjoying those, you know, just, just to relax. I mean, stuff is nuts out there in, uh, at least here in the United States you know, with the elections and everything else. And it got a little bit more contentious because Supreme Court justice died. And now people are worried about that, you know, one way or the other. And so anyway, it's just, it stresses me out. And so it's nice to have something to kick back on there. One other thing that I'm going to pick, and this is something we've been using at my full-time job that I just picked up is Microsoft Teams. I'm really liking it. You know, they just set it up. You get the chat channels, you can do conference calls, you can share your screen, you can give people control of your screen, the whole nine yards. It's it's a really, really nice system. I didn't re- I tried it before, but I tried it on the web version, and the web version was not great. But they have the app installed on my Mac, and I'm really liking that. So I'm gonna shout out about Microsoft Teams as well. Yeah, except their new version, they uh-huh. where they split the window. They move uh-huh. the mute button up to the top. So I have to retrain myself to move the mouse <laughs> there to mute instead of down at the bottom. There's no keybind? There is, but who uses keybinds? I mean, I don't know. It's, I use the M key or whatever it is. Yeah, my, my issue funny. with that is I have it's to have that Zoom, app but... in focus in order to do that. And I rarely do. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's funny. Yeah, that's like the people who complain when Facebook updates their interface. Because I can't find anything anymore. You need to use your uh, deck there to to get yourself uh, a macro to. Mute oh, there you yourself. go. Yeah, your stream deck. I do actually. So, they updated Teams, <laughs> nice. and then a week later, I got the stream deck. So it's kind of been a non-issue, but for that one week of time. Nice, super cool. Well, let's go ahead and wrap this up. It was great talking to you guys, and until next time, folks, max out. Talk to you later. Take care. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.